So I want us to go to a book that perhaps also many of us don't know. I've been accused here frequently to go into places that people are not familiar. And so today I'm not going either to help you. So we turn to a book, uh, a small book, three chapters. It's called the book of Joel. It is in the Old Testament. Actually, there is. I can see, you know. Uh, so this is a book about, you know, that the prophet Joe uh, no, wrote some about 3,000 years ago. And there's something that you can learn there. So please turn there quickly um, in chapter 2. We are going to read from chapter 2. In chapter 2 from verse 17 down there. That's where you're going to read from. If you are having trouble finding it, go to the content page, book 29. Then quickly run to the right. You'll see the numbers there. And then open the book of Joel, chapter 2. Allow me to read from verse 17. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Verse 18, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Verse 20, I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear, will in, and those in the rear into the western sea and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Verse 21, be, be not afraid, O land, be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yields their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. In times like this, especially in our nation, where things are a bit uncertain, and we do not know how the next weeks looks like, well knowing that a few, I think last week but one, we were all mathematicians, seeing where the numbers are at with our pens. And the coming week we'll be attending Kenya School of Law, TV campus, trying to see what is happening, especially in our political landscape, we prepare a sort of an, or an array of sermons that we call healing sermons. These sermons are meant to encourage believers 
they are intended to remind us of God's goodness and kindness even when things or moments are very uncertain. Even when the situation on the ground could be different or the prevailing circumstances are not what we so much desire. When we feel like we are not moving forward, we try to run back to God and hear what is God saying in such moments. And this is meant to increase our perseverance. It is meant to increase our hope in our God. So in the, from last week, as Bishop started us off, we'll be doing these sermons to encourage the believers. But as if you have read this text from the book of Joel, and this was a prophecy that the prophet gave to the people of Israel, one of the things that you see there, especially the anchor text there, verse 25, is about how the years have passed how the years have been wasted. And recently you have a quip that has been going around where we say that mambo ni mengi and what? Masani machache, right? We do not have time. Before you know you are here in church on Sunday, then it's just, just like a blink, then you're back here again. Especially to some of us, because I'm in that category who are over 30 years. You know, one of the things that happened when I was growing up, when I turned 20, and up to 29 thereabout, those nine years, it's like I stayed there for 30 years. When I celebrate my 21st birthday, it took like five years before I celebrate my 22nd. And then I turned 30. And then even before I finish the previous year's cake, <laughs> you hear again another one has come. And now I have like three cases that I have not eaten and another one will be brought soon. We do not have time. And we have to acknowledge that first time is a gift that comes from God. And we need to be good stewards of time. We need to take care of time. If we don't do that, we might regret about the choices that we make the outcomes that we have made of that, and sometimes it can be full of regret because we never utilize our time well. Friends, it was the same for the children of Israel during the time of this prophecy. One, you have to remember that the children of Israel had rebelled against God. They had forgotten about God, and they wanted to live independently of God. And yet God had said that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thinking that they can live of God, then God allowed this natural calamity to come along their way. And this natural calamity was a swarm of locusts that had come and visited the land of Israel. And so God says that I repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And one of the things that they will do is that they will plant and then after that a swarm of locusts, a army of locusts will come and invade the land. And they will be left with nothing. We are not told for how many harvests or planting seasons that this happened, but I want to guess that it was a bit, it was quite a number of years. Because in verse 25 it says, I repay you for the years. So it wasn't one year. Maybe it wasn't even two. Most likely it was four or five years 
when this calamity would visit them. And so because of that, they were very, very weak. And they needed to hear this encouragement from the man of God. And many times, friends, God can use a moment of crisis to remind us to depend on him. That he is a source of life. Even when bad things happen to us, let us not run away from God. We need to ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to learn in this season? And then run to God and hope in him. Actually, I checked from the National Geographic about the locust invasions, and the facts are a bit gruesome. One is that a swarm of desert locusts can be about 190 billion locusts, and they can cover over 20 square kilometers in a span. In one square kilometer, you can have about 80 million locusts. And these insects are so vast with feeding that each day a locust can feed its total weight from the green that you see around. And they say that the locusts in one day, these desert swarm locusts, they can eat what 90 million people can eat on a single day. They can eat what 90 million people can eat. So in one day, for example, if they visit Kenya, in the northern Kenya, they can eat what the population of Kenya can eat in two days. So you can imagine the wastefulness that these locusts bring. That's not it all. They, can, they hatch about 60 million eggs per day. So you can imagine the children of Israel, they plant, and then when these insects have gone to another region thinking that now they have hope, then the ones that were in the crash, you get moved to the <laughs> adult service, and they finish everything, they wipe everything. And so that is what used to happen. And so you can imagine with me, these children of Israel are seeing a green field. Then in a moment, this big army of locusts come, and what is left is nothing but dust. When they looked outside from their houses, perhaps they saw the green fields uh, that brought them a lot of hope that we have something, we have a future, we have something to eat. And then this army of locusts come and wipe everything, and all that they are left with is dust on their faces, hopelessness and despair. So friends, this is a picture that Joel paints to us about the people of God, the people who are called by God, the people who are saved by God, the people that God has selected for himself. These are the children of God and God had bestowed a lot of blessings upon them and then this thing happens to them. And when they plant, when they labor, there was no single outcome from their labor. And what used to happen is this. If you read with me in verse 20, it says there, I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. And these are the enemies, the people who are surrounding the people of God. And they, when they saw how vulnerable and weak the people of God were because they didn't have enough food, then they did plan to extend their boundaries. So they have the enemies in terms of locusts, 
but also other communities around, they want to take their land because they are hungry and they can't defend for themselves. But then it's during that time that God says, I will drive the northern army far from you. Secondly, in verse 22, be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. So even the wild animals, the one who had not committed any sin, they had not rebelled against God, had also suffered because of what the children of Israel had done. But God says, I'm going to restore, even to the wild animals, this ecosystem that is imbalanced and distorted, I'm going to do something to renew it. The children, in verse 33, some versions will say, O oh, people of Zion, some will say, O oh, children, and other sons of Zion, that the children will be nourished again by the autumn rains. You know, that they had spent a lot of time even without having that smell. You know that aroma that comes from the ground when it rains? You get, uh, in English, it's called petrichor, just to, to teach you some English word, just in case you doubt, it's called petrichor. And it's such a refreshing thing. It's an aroma that gives you hope. If you're looking perhaps for a good name to call your spouse, you can call them petrichor. <laughs> an aroma that rises from the ground. It is within this background of spiritual and material devastation that God is speaking what he will do. But the climax of it all, of these promises, is that one which is very, very impossible to do. You can plant and try to plant again for a number of years until you hit it right. But there is something that is very, very impossible. And that is the question of time. It is very, very hard and impossible to turn back the hand of time. But God tells them this, I will repay for the years that the locusts have eaten. Some of your versions say, I will compensate. Myself will do that for the years that the locusts have eaten. Friends, we were reminded last week that God takes responsibility for everything that he has permitted and he has a way out. He says that this is a great army that I brought along your way. And God says that now I'm going to turn back the hand of time. And everything that has been lost, I will repay that. And this is a promise made to God's people. And it follows years of great desolations and these calamities. And God says that I'm going to repay you for the years. And friends, God put this promise here, not just for the people of Israel, but even for us today. That when we look back into our lives, there are moments that we can say that indeed that was wasted time. That was wasted years. But God says that if you turn back to me, I am the only one who can be able to turn the hand of time. We may not know how, we may not know when, because the word of God tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And he's never short of miracles. He's a God who was beyond time as we have sung. He's outside the realm of time. So he can adjust it in his own ways. And he tells us that today, in this sanctuary, 
that I can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I don't know, friends, how you may interpret this idea of years eaten by locusts and how they look like in your family setup, in your own life, in your ministry. I don't know how this looks like, but the locust years are years that are wasted, as I have said. They are years full of pain and grief and doubts and pain which come in various forms and from various angles. That's how locust ears may look like. But let me help you perhaps to bring to your attention just a few ways that these locust ears can look like. First, they are fruitless ears that the children of Israel would plant and then when the crops were shooting or germinating, then this Desert locusts will come and wipe away everything. And many of you can relate with this here. You invest some money or time and resources into an idea or into a venture, and then you have nothing to show up. There's nothing that comes out of that. And some, you are very, very genuine. You're not trying to get, you're not trying to get money from illicit engagements. You had prayed, you had hoped, and then you invest. It is not in the pyramid schemes. That's another someone on the side. You have been shown how to invest, and then you have nothing to show. You have this idea of a business. Nothing comes out of that. Only losses. There are no fruits of your labor. Secondly, they can be very, very painful or dark years. Imagine with me grief years. Loss of a loved one. You had hopes and plans and you had decided this is what we are going to do at this time. And then out of nowhere, grief and loss visits you. And now the family events may not look the same way. You don't even want to take that photo of family gathering because there's someone special who is no longer there. And so the days that are left are dark and painful and no one understands apart from you. And many have experienced that. Even in this congregation, loss of parents, loss of a child, even from this congregation. And you feel these are painful, dark moments for me, there is no hope. What about someone who has been praying for a child for many years and God has not responded in kind? And you feel like your prayers, uh, you know, God is not listening to your prayers. And you can become a bit discouraged and wonder, when will I ever get out of this season? As I hope. Nothing seems to work. Thirdly, they can be loveless years. When you feel that your friends that you trusted have let you down, the ones who say that they love you and they care for you, they have let you down. Or even when you have to endure a marriage in which there is no love. And as much as you try to fan to flame, that very small light there of love, you try to fan it. 
and the spark is not blowing into a full flame. And the only thing that you get is a love that is burning low and finally dies and you do not know what to do. Or even the one who struggles. You have tried your level best. The marriage has not worked. You gave your best and your wife or your husband never responded in kind. Those can be wasted years. You feel, I have wasted my time with this person. What about for the ones who have prayed for a spouse for many years and God has not responded? You feel that time is running. You don't have much time. The opportunities are becoming fewer. And you feel, God, these years that you have given me are loveless. There is no love around. What about for the ones who have to endure a disobedient child? You try your level best to show love to this child, to your son or your daughter. And they don't understand it. And they keep on running away from you. What about the ones who have a sibling? You have sacrificed a lot. You have done many things to help them. And yet, there is nothing good that has come out of them. In any case, they always complain how they are not assisted. And some are in deep valley of depression. You do not know what to do. You try to give them, to cheer them up. Nothing is working. They can't experience your love and your care. What about the ones that you have tried to help? They are deep in the dens of alcoholism. And you wonder, will my sibling, will my brother or my sister ever get out of this pitch? And all that you see is wasted years. What about the ones who have dated and you have the promise of a marriage. And then the guy or the lady that has promised that we can start a family together let you down. And yet you had splashed your photos together. On Facebook, on TikTok, you are doing many things. You are doing ministry together. In any case, you had tried to invest together in preparation for a time of marital bliss. And then that is cut off. Haven't you had enough stories about what has happened. And then you are like, I've wasted my three years, my four years with this person, and God, this is my reward. And you feel you have wasted your time. Wasted years can also be the disobedient years. Sometimes people come into faith when they are a bit, they have, their energy has been spent outside. And then you come to church and you see how young people are enjoying serving God. They are praising God. They are everywhere. They seem to have fun. And you look at them and you see your younger self in them. And you wonder, where was I? I have wasted my time. I may not have the energy now to serve God as I, as I have loved. And you feel that you wasted your time. But also for the ones who feel that I'm disobeying God because I am unable to get myself out of sin. I'm struggling in sin. And these issues of sin, they are limiting me from serving God very, very well. I strongly feel that I'm disobeying my God. And you are living in a life of great temptations. And you are, you do not know, am I really a Christian? Am I truly saved? You come to church, but you're struggling with that. And the grip of sin is quite strong and heavy on you. 
you feel I'm disobeying God and I'm wasting my time with God. What about for the ones who have come into faith and they have reached a moment of crisis in faith and have said enough with God? Let me go out there and enjoy life. This can be wasted years. And in a nutshell, wasted years are when you look back into your life and you see all that you see is a time that was wasted. Opportunities that you have missed. But thanks be to God because of the word today. That there is hope, brothers and sisters. God says that, you know what? Those locust years, imagine I can repay. I can turn back the hand of time. And they will no longer be wasted moments. And this prophecy was given to people and to a people who had these characteristics. Two of them. Allow me to read together. We read together from verse 17. Turn with me there. Verse 17. It says, Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. And this is a picture of intercession. And later, before we conclude the service today, we'll invite you here to come. So that as your pastors, we can pray for you. We can join you in prayer. In thanking the Lord for what he has done. For the restoration that he has brought. But should you desire even to ask God, God, may you restore this time. May you heal me from this grief. From this baggage of sin. We'll spend a lot of time praying for you, brothers and sisters. So prepare yourself. It says there, let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn. Spare your people. And this has an image of people who are interceding for God's mercy to be extended to his children. Spare your people, O God. And friends, Allow me to remind you that first we receive the mercies of God because Christ wasn't spared. If you may, please read with me the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 32. Quickly, just quickly there. You can dash there. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously gives us all things. That friends, as you come to God, as you ask him to extend his mercies to you, you are doing that on account of what Christ did on that day. That's why we have Holy Communion. To remind us that there is someone who was not spared so that we can be spared ourselves. And so that we can have hope and we can have a future. And so restoration comes from understanding that I have received mercies from God on account of what Christ did on that cross for me. It also says there, in verse 17 there, why should the nation, why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so restoration again comes to those who want God's name to be honored and to be glorified. And that should be the foundation of every prayer. Hallowed be thy name. That I as, as I ask God to restore my life, to restore my soul, 
I'm not doing that so that other people may see how good I am. I'm doing that so that people can see the work of God in my life. That as you stand before people, as you proclaim God's goodness, people are seeing what God has done. How God can extend his mercies to an individual who was far away from God and say, I want to live for that God. I want to live for him. I don't know you, few brothers and sisters, you are concerned about God's name, about his praise and about his honor. I don't know. If you do the prayers that you do, you say that it's for the glory of God. I am praying so that God may be seen. And even if God doesn't meet my needs at the end of this day, whether he says yes or no to my prayers, that his name will be glorified. But you may ask, as we conclude, how does God restore? How will God restore my life? You say, but I've, I've heard you. I have been there. I have seen it all. I have done that all. How will God restore my life? How will God restore my family? How will God restore my relationship? Where, how will God restore my esteem? Which no longer exists. Friends, God does that first by or through his forgiveness. The way he extends forgiveness to us, that's how he restores. You know that you have been forgiven. You know that there is an assurance that your guilt has been taken away by God. That's how we know that indeed God is restoring us. God is with us. I actually love these words that are found in the book of Titus chapter 3 verse 4. That says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to remind you that there is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon, cannot pardon or even cover. God covers and forgives so one of the ways that God restores is having that faith that indeed my sins have been forgiven and because of that I have a hope. Secondly, God can repay the years that the locusts have eaten by multiplying the, your fruitfulness, making you fruitful in everything that you do. That's one way of God repay. I will repay you for the years that meant perhaps he increased the harvest. In a short time, he did increase the harvest. And that's how God restore us by increasing our influences. That whatever we do, that the Lord multiplies it and becomes effective in all ways. In that, you bear a fruit that lasts. And finally, God restores us by removing the shame. In the last verse there, it says, in chapter 2 there, it says, in verse 27, never again will my people be shamed. I don't know if you have ever understood the place of shame. And shame swings from one side of being embarrassed to the other side of being humiliated. And God says that no longer will my people be put to shame. Because locust ears are sugar-coated with shame and guilt. You feel, I would have done something. Maybe there's something that I, would, I would have done. And today I want us to 
remember that past failures can lead us to have fear and results in our being unable to embrace God's mercies and God's promises. But friends, thanks be to God because the Christ of Jesus Christ, the one who was not spared, is a marked place to lay all our burdens and all our shame and leave it there because God has redeemed us. I pray that as we sit down to evaluate how the next few years will be like writing our family manifestos, we'll be able to remember or to ask God, God, make us fruitful. Make us bear fruits that last. Restore us. Give us the joy of salvation. Let us enjoy being in your presence. As the word of God says that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere that I'll be able to enjoy and to commune with you. And through that, may you increase my fruitfulness. May I see the fruit of my labor. May I see an outcome from everything that I do. Because he is a God who restores. He is a God who repays the locust ears. And he does that through his own grace. Not on our own merits, but through his grace that he has provided for us. I want us to get friends to a time of prayer. And this time of prayer, and allow me to invite the music team. And allow me to ask you, what are the locust ears that you could be facing at the moment? I want to give you a time of prayer. It's about 10 minutes. We pray together. But I also want to ask, as we have read from the book of God, from the word of God, that indeed the priest had a special place of interceding on behalf of the people of God. I'm going to ask our pastors, please, to line up here. Gather some courage and come and share with the pastor together so that we may pray for you. We may pray together and believe together. And so as we sing and as we reflect on these songs, please find some courage and come. As you sit down to reflect, to thank God, as you pray, also get some courage and come here so that we may be able to pray for you together. Amen? Amen.